Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Hey, I'm Tyler. And I'm KC. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. So, Tyler, I am not the most experienced early season hunter. I've hunted a lot of October ones, but I've never hunted a deer September one, okay? And I don't really... Mm, I've got some ideas and some implications and some thoughts about what's good and what's bad, but I know a dude who really, really gets after it in the early season, and he's been on the podcast about 3,800 times. His name is Tony <laughs> Peterson. We're going to talk to him today, and uh, man... I don't know if this is his favorite tactic or not, but I know he does it a whole lot and he kills doing it, and it's about hunting over water. Uh, have you ever done that yourself? I have. Yeah? Yeah, I have. And I don't necessarily know if the water was like the only factor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> but I hunted in Nebraska a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think this was the first time, maybe not the first time, but <clears throat> we had Tony on to talk about some early season stuff, and maybe it was around this um, I hunted next to a little slough that was next to, or I was hunting over the slough pretty much next to an alfalfa field mm-hmm. and the bucks went nuts in there that <laughs> night. It was <laughs> cool did. footage, right. man. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that because you hunted, uh, water last year in Nebraska too. Yep. In a different scenario, and didn't have uh, wild bucks, but you had wild horses I had and wild people. horses. And I had I saw we saw over twenty deer that night. Yeah, they, it was a good spot. A lot of them came to drink water. Yeah, um, but the biggest buck was about the size of Anthony's diker that he shot. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I mean that, that's very little experience hunting water, mm-hmm. but a little bit, and it did work that night. And I should have shot a buck that night, but I didn't. They came literally under my tree. And they were just like, there was a couple of hard horns, a couple of velvets, mm-hmm. does, and they were just playing in the water. It's cool footage. If you want to go check it out, it's on the season playlist. It's one of the first videos in the season playlist from, you know, early season 2019, right? It was the yeah. first year we did season stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can go check that out if you're interested. Um, but I've probably hunted more uh, early September openers than I have early October openers because... It's true. I just don't like hunting East Texas yeah, on October East Texas, 1. October 1's tough. I've, <clears throat> I've seen some decent action on East Texas openers, but uh, at the same time, I've seen some not as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, it's a weird deal where 
sometimes your better hunts are in the morning because that's when it's not 95 and you know this and that but i think that uh instead of us just uh postulating what we think would be the best idea we probably should get tony on because he knows what the best idea is all right now on the phone we've got tony peterson he is with meat eater wired to hunt and he is with himself as well so tony uh what's been going on lately man that was that was the weirdest way i've ever been described guys <laughs> with himself <laughs> he's the loneliest public land hunter out there nobody <sighs> that takes a lot too man yeah yeah really oh, yeah. Man. so uh everything going good man everything's good buddy yeah i'm uh I got a weird schedule this year, so I'm trying not to think about deer hunting too much and mm-hmm. trying to temper my excitement this year because I don't have as front-loaded of a schedule as I usually do. Yeah. you I, Off the air, you mentioned we, you were going to be up in North Dakota possibly hunting a bunch of water, which is what we want to talk to you about today. Um, you know, KC and I were like, man, I feel like we've hashed some of this over with Tony before and who should we talk to? And we started doing a bunch of research and we we're like, Tony's the man. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we'd, you know, we tried, we tried, but we, we had to have you back on to talk a little bit about this. What's your strategy going up there in uh, hunting early season? Uh, you know, this is a weird year, man. I mean, it's, we've got such, we've got drought conditions in so many different places. And so, you know, some years when there's just normal precipitation, even in a, a drier area, you know, like this pond will probably have water, this tank will have water, the river's going to be at, you know, such and such level. And you can kind of just plan around that. This year, it's going to be tougher to find water in a lot of places, I think, but it's also going to be better to hunt water. And so I'm, I'm looking at these, I can't remember the the website. There's some government website that tracks drought conditions. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at that a lot for the, for the area of North Dakota, I'm going to go. And then I've been using, you know, I'll pull up on X and because I can hunt whitetails and mule deer this year, I got the tag for both. I'm looking at every pond on the, the, the top overlay, uh, you know, where it shows there should be water. And then I'll switch over to the 3D and I'll really zoom in. And you can kind of pick and choose and go, that one looks really small and really shallow. Probably not going to be any water in there this year. Or you can see some with like a nice berm and you're like, man, that looks like it has some depth to it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I'm dropping pins on every one that looks like it's probably going to have water. Yeah. And then yeah. when I, when I get out there, it's just going to be cover, you know, eight or 10 miles and look at every single one the first day and then make a plan. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, or actually it was last year, um, I was in Nebraska and an- another thing I noticed as far as looking on maps for ponds that might still have water was, um, I was seeing a lot of ponds that were kind of like a light Brown. And then I saw one that was dark colored and I was like, that's yep. probably spring fed right there. And so I went to that one and it sure was like, it was completely full you could tell it was spring fed it because it was dark because it was clear you could see you know down yep. to the bottom and there was grass growing in it and stuff so KC, when you're looking at a map and you're dropping water source pins what do you use i am going to use my index finger sometimes my thumb <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, i'm assuming you're asking which pin like which icon i'm going to use i'm going to use there's a there's a water droplet 
that's for water source, then I'm going to change that thing to be the dark blue color. And that's how I mark my water sources. How about you? Same thing, usually. Um, I don't mark a lot of water, actually. I mark Mm -hmm. more food and stuff like that. But either way, I'm using a lot of color coordination. And we actually talk about that in in our public pen series that you've been hearing come out on Tuesdays every week. So you can check those out in the meantime and also check out OnX for all of your digital mapping needs. When it comes to... So you you spray the, the map with dots on all these tanks and stuff at what point um do you go that is the one that's going to have deer at it and that's where i need to hunt uh the one that i walk into and i look at it, it's covered in tracks okay oh. so you're yeah. you're trying to pre-scout them with your boots uh most of the time i think you kind of have to mm-hmm. i mean i've made this mistake before where i've just fallen in love with a pond because it has the right trees around it maybe some good feeder draws and it looks right, and then I walk in there, and either it's covered in cattle, or it doesn't have the water, or, you know, a really common mistake that, it, like, it's, it's easy to make is you look at it and you go, there's a nice little water hole there, that tree looks perfect, and then you walk in there, and that water hole is like an acre, and that tree is a cottonwood that's, <laughs> you know, 17 feet in diameter, and you're like, well, I can't hunt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I made up my mind that this was the place to be, and I, I just don't think – I think that, that e-scouting is, like, crazy valuable, but it's – without ground truthing, it's it's tough. Yeah. Because you, you just get it wrong a lot, you yeah. know? And so I just I just make the plan of, like, these are the ones I have the, the highest hope of, and then it doesn't take that much to go in and just look at them. Mm-hmm. And – you know, I mean, I just, I don't know about you guys, but I get that stuff wrong all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll walk into places and I'm like, you know, in my head when I was going to sleep at night, I was like, that's the place I'm going to shoot a buck. And I walk in there and it sucks <laughs> <laughs> just for, for whatever reason. And then you find some where you just walk in, you're like, there's a perfect tree there. And this whole thing is just ringed in tracks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is it. This yeah. is the one, you know? Yeah, we uh, we do kind of a summer uh, video series that we do the exact thing you're talking about where we kind of do some pre-scouting on the map, and then we go in and vet it, you know, and show, like, what that does. And uh, we went to Ohio this year, and I had scouted this one place, and I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. You know, it's like a little hidey hole. It's Ohio, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's Ohio. <laughs> and, dude, there was nothing, you know what I mean? We, we had to kind of – Yeah, we got destroyed the first place we went to, and it's the exact same thing <clears> you're talking about. It's just you have to – even the guys who are really good at it get it right quite a bit, you know, so you have to go in there and do that stuff. So you might find yourself, if you're going in to scout some of these, you know, water sources that you've never been to, uh, that you've done it a little bit, you're going through the afternoon, and, you know, it's kind of like live or die right now. you got to make this thing work. And let me tell you something. You do not want to tote in a big old stand with you every time you go in to check one of these things. What's nice is you can put a cruiser saddle on, particularly the XC, is what, which is what I wear, and just take that thing in with you whenever you go to scout one of these water sources, decide if it's a place that you think you want to hunt, and then you don't even have to deliberate on like, well, is that a good st- tree for a tree stand? Because guess what? Um, there is hardly a tree made that you can't hang a saddle in and do it right, okay? So if you don't have one, you should go check out cruiser.shop and see which saddle that they have on their website that will be right for you this early season. Now, I want to dissect a little bit about something you said while ago because um, I have not really hunted. I've hunted water a little bit, not had a lot of success, but I haven't done out of state a ton. Uh, So you talked about feeder draws, uh, and I, I'm assuming I kind of know what that is. You know, it's going to be elevation with like some dry creeks or running creeks or whatever have you. 
come down to the pool or the pond. Um, but are you doing that because it's a place for deer to live, or are you doing that because that place has more catchment? Uh, it's a place for deer to live. So okay. I, when I said that, I'm 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 talking specific to the to Western North Dakota. Yeah, and because you know you might find a pond that's out in the middle of a pasture that has no cover around it, mm-hmm. and you know there might be some antelope coming in there, but you're not going to kill a deer on it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for you know, really good draws with covering that I know. And and because I'm playing the whitetail and mule deer game, I'm like, you know, if I, if I get out into the Hills and there's a good looking pond there and there's a couple of wooded draws coming down to it, you know, there's going to be something living in there. Mm-hmm. And so, so then, then it's a matter of getting in there and finding how huntable it is and how the wind sets up for those approach routes. But, you know, other places, you know, if you, if you, you're talking Midwest or East, it's, it's a different thing sometimes, you know, I, I look for ponds that, or, or potential water sources that are really not that easy to find a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Like if if I want to find something that takes some work to get to, and you know, that's that, you know, you guys know why, like, I mean, you don't want that, that pond by the parking lot usually that's not the place you're going to kill a big buck on typically, (laughs) you know, like it's that little tucked in water hole that you see. And a lot of times, you know, in, in those regions, when you get in the Midwest and the East where it's going to be just a, there's going to be more rain there anyway, you're not talking desert conditions, obviously it might be a a little backwater oxbow lake or something. That's like a hundred yards off a river, but it's in the cover Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? And so you, you find that stuff and then, then you typically get something else to work with terrain wise too. So, it's not just like, it's not a strategy where you're just like, I'm going to go hunt the water because it's September 15th or whatever, and they're going to be thirsty. You know, you're kind of layering in some other some other things that are working for you. Like you're in the cover, it's a small water hole, you got some terrain that might funnel them down, or, you know, that bedding cover by the river. There's there's usually something else going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are deer usually drinking water um, in the last hour of daylight? Man, they do. That's it's one of my favorite setups for a morning hunt in the early season, because a lot of times if you find water tucked into cover, they'll filter back through there. They'll drink and then go bed down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then that's the that's a lot of times the first thing they hit when they get out of their bed. If it's in the cover. It's a different story if you've got, you know, kind of one of those ponds that's on a, a wooded draw coming up to the fields or something. That would be like a last hour type of deal a lot of times. But those those water sources that are really tucked into the cover, they, they'll they hit them earlier. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I'm to the point now, especially on a traveling hunt, I'm sure you guys see this with all the travel you do. I, when I get out there, I'm like, I guess I could go sit back at camp and throw a frisbee back and forth with my buddies or something, or I can just go hunt all day. And I have more confidence sitting on water randomly at like one o'clock in the afternoon in September than I would anywhere else. You know, like I don't, if I was sitting on a bean field, I'd be like, okay, now in seven hours, they're going to come out, you know, (laughs) but But if you're on water and you're in cover and you kind of have some confidence they're betting close by, I'll pull all day sits there just because, you know, I don't do it at home. If I can go home and be with my kids or something like that, I'm not going to do that. But on the road, it's like, well, I guess I could go sit in a hot tent or, you know, run into town and grab a burger or something. Or I can just make a lunch and I can sit this sucker all day. And it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you get those midday visitors and it's awesome. Mm, yeah. That does sound cool. That's exciting, man. Yeah. The reason yeah. I kind of was asking though is because a lot of times like in that last hour of, of, um, 
an early season hunt at you know right before uh shooting lights over you have this the wind dies and you know if you're sitting in those those feeders those draws um your thermals are going to kind of sink down which tends to be towards the heavier cover downhill you know and so it seems like it could be a difficult spot to hunt and kill a buck that hasn't already smelled you um in the late evening you know what i mean yeah i mean that (laughs) happens a lot but you also have to remember that when you're in september you don't it is totally situational but you don't always get that big temperature change Mm -hmm. and so like crazy thermals might not happen you know if it's only five degrees colder than it was at noon or something by the time it's late Mm -hmm. you don't have much thermals to deal with Mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons you know this this year with the way the with the way it's so dry it might work in your favor as far as like really predicting right where they're going to come into the water if you're dealing with smaller water holes you know you might be able to call your shot and go it looks like that trail is where everybody comes into water now because mm-hmm. there's only so much water. And so you could set up specifically for a really high odds approach as opposed to having a bunch of water. You know, if you, if you have a tenth of an acre versus an acre, I mean, like it's it's easier to predict where they're going to go and try to try to mitigate some of that potential wind damage. And but it's also the downside of that is if you have a really small you know, a pond that's really shrunk down, that awesome tree that you wanted to set up in might be 47 yards away from the water's <laughs> edge versus 20. Yeah. It's a little and much. So it's, a, it's all situational. That's why you get in and look. Yeah. Like that's why you go. And, and for that, like what you're talking about, Tyler, a lot of times if I go get into a tree and I'm going to try that pattern and I'm like, okay, I know, I know it's supposed to drop 10 or 12 degrees by the time it's going to be dark. So that's a real possibility of some swirling wind or some, some thermals to mess me up. I usually try to find some kind of like, can I just get out and go tuck into the ground somewhere under that cedar or something? Like if this, if this blows up on me in the last hour and my original ambush spot is, it's going to flame out. Like, what, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, cause you don't want to sit there and ride it out and screw it up. And so is there like, is there a, is there a plate safe option mm-hmm. to get back to? And that's a hard thing to do. You know, when you're sitting there, you're like, I don't want to get down. I don't want to move. But when you, when you just know like that wind has, is going to get you, like, well, you know, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just, it just changes so much out there and you just gotta, you just gotta work with what the conditions give you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of times early season you're hunting bed to feed, especially if you're in a area where there's agriculture and even if not that's what those deer are doing at night they're, if they're moving they're going to go eat something you know it might be forbs or whatever up in the hills but um do you see or try to set up on a pond that is on the way to a food source between bedding or do you find that deer will actually you know head to good water and then backtrack to go eat they'll do both yeah. i mean you see that that's one of the reasons I love hunting Western whitetails is because you can watch what they do Mm -hmm. in in some situations, you know, and man, I've, I've seen some stuff with Western whitetails where they're eventually heading to a river to either feed their across to some field and they will, they will go out of their way to hit water first. And I think it's because Water really, if if you have the right water source, it acts like a staging area. Mm-hmm. Like you watch those deer get up, and they kind of you know browse their way in, and it's like kind of a congregation point. 
and then they spread out again and go to wherever their 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 real destination is. And so I don't I want the right water. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have to be like in a direct line between where I think they're bedding or where they're feeding. It just has to be in the right cover or the right situation where they're going to go there. And it it's a weird it's a kind of a weird thing to talk about because it probably doesn't sound like it makes that much sense, but when you can get up above them and watch some of these places and see how they how they interact with them in the mornings and the evenings, you just realize like, that's a draw, man. Like it's not there that that's built into their life and they need that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That makes sense. So whenever you're uh, going in and doing the boot scouting thing, which I think you've kind of made the point that it's important for some in-person scouting, right? Uh, Are you approaching these ponds to go look at them like straight up through the open? So you don't bust out deer through the cover or are you trying to remain like, unseen or like what does that little uh jaunt look like when you're going out and looking at this stuff um i mean you try to be smart right like i'm not i I just this is a random tangent here but i got a i got a trail camera video last year of this guy hunting the same farm that i hunt he got permission in there he came in with his daughter and i got a video clip of this dude walking up to go hang a camera by my camera and he had what the hell he had motley crew like blaring on his phone mm. and this is a week before the season and this place was covered in bucks mm. and he just killed it and i was like i mean that's an extreme stupid example right but like i don't understand why you would ever do that like why why would you take this spot that you believe like if you go in there and you're hanging a camera you're like i think there's deer here and you're gonna walk in with freaking hair metal blaring and just be like i don't care if i blow everything out i get <laughs> it's it's freaking crazy right yeah. yeah so i i it's it's more important for me to get in there and see it than than worry about bumping stuff but you know you're always trying to be quiet and take routes where you're not skylining yourself or not going through you know like you you want to you want to take a route where you're like, I'm not going to go walk through this wooded draw to get there. Like I'm going to come through the open where they're probably not going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the e-scouting work is when you get that, you know, you get all those waypoints out there and you start looking at it and you're like, I'm going to go in this way and come in here. And it's an inexact science, right? Like you're going to probably jump deer and you're going to leave some center around, but the, the benefit is, like, you, you know, you're going to get in there, you're going to see what you need to see. And so, yeah, like ev- everything we do comes at a cost, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you go in-season scout anywhere or out of season, I guess, like, yeah, you might jump some deer and you might alert them to your presence a little bit. But is what you're going to learn worth more than that? Mm-hmm. Like if you plan it right, it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you when you get set up at the pond or pool or tank whatever people want to call it out there how do you or i guess do you see what percent percentage of uh deer do you see that are coming in into the wind on that water um it really depends on the situation i don't see them i see them use the wind if they can so if 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 the wind plays into where they're probably coming from and they can they can swing downwind of it, I see that happen, especially on public land deer. But I also see them sometimes just like we like to bed in this, you know, cedar thicket and the ponds over there, so we're gonna walk there. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean that that's kind of one of the beautiful things about early season 
deer on water, it's like they're not on their A game yet. You know, depending on where you hunt, they might get there after the first week if there's a ton of pressure or the first two weeks. But that's kind of one of the beautiful things about hunting them right away is, you know, all summer long, they've been sitting there and they're like, oh, it's hot out. I guess I go drink and then I go eat somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden this pricks in a tree above them and shoots them with a pointy (laughs) stick. You know, that's, that's the beauty of the early season. Yeah. Yeah. So if, um, like how often do you feel like a deer comes in um, and starts drinking and the shot is quartering two? Do you, do you encounter that much? Um, I, well, yeah, I've had that situation. But the the thing that really works in your favor there is if they commit to the water and they're drinking, they'll pick their head up and look around, look behind them. They very rarely do they come in, only give you a poor angle and then leave without giving you a shot. Gotcha. You know, like I've, I've had a lot of deer come in where they did that and you're thinking, man, I don't really want to try to slip this in there, but this might be my only shot. And if they're comfortable there, which they will be, if they don't, you know, if they don't see you or smell you, they're going to give you your chance. You know, they seem to kind of, they're kind of like, if you, I got this little lab puppy right now. And she really got into water in the last probably 10 days. And when I go up to the water, whether it's at the lake or a canoe landing by my house on the river, the first thing she does is just go in, take some, take a drink or two, and then just kind of mill around a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of deer. Like they get in there and they're just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to drink here. I'm going to walk over here. I'm going to look back and you know, like they're going to give you your chance. Mm-hmm. Um, about how long do you think you have to get the right angle on a, on a, three-year-old better buck longer than you think yeah i mean i i think the reason that so many big bucks get away and get missed and get shot poorly is because we rush it mm-hmm. i mean i know it is mm-hmm. and when you the same thing happens when you hunt antelope on a water hole or you know you call in an elk you're like your brain is like make this happen because this is a special thing and you don't want to lose it but you know, if they come in, if they commit and they're relaxed, they're going to give you your chance. If your setup is is any good at all, you're going to get your chance. Mm-hmm. And so, just wait for your opportunity. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're shooting at a deer that's uh, drinking actively drinking, do you expect string jump jump to happen? I don't. I don't really plan for string jumping. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes when you get busted drawing, you kind of think, like, I need to hold a little lower. But I don't know. I'm I'm to the point now where my shot's, like, five inches behind the shoulder and halfway up. And it just seems to work out really well. And, you know, I'm not – I'm taking close shots now. And that's that's one of the things I really like about waterhole hunting mm-hmm. is a lot of times you get that, like, dreamy 15, 20-yard shot. Like, I don't you know, the fastest deer in the West probably isn't going to get away from your compound bow, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it's – I don't I don't worry about that that much. I, I really worry about just, like, what's my angle and getting that pin where I need it to be. And then, yeah. then it usually works out in your favor, you yeah. know? So if you if you were to rank water hole hunting for early season and one is the highest you could rank it out of all the things that you could do when you're hunting in early season, what would you rank it? As a compared to like a, a sweet bean field or something? Bean field, spot and stalk, yeah, stuff yeah, like corn that. Corn pile even, you know, if it, <laughs> you know whatever. Yeah. I, I would say I would rank it at like a – 
a universal six and a half. And I say that because there are times where if you had that soybean field or something like that, it's going to be way better, mm-hmm. but it's going to be way better for the next three days and might get blown out. Like I, I like water because it's so consistent. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, you know, you guys know when you travel to public land, like there might be a bean field on it, you know, it might be a walk-in ranch or something like that, but everybody's going to go sit it, you know, like it's, it's not going to take long for that pattern to probably blow up because it's so obvious. Yeah. And you know, like they don't, they, they get really clued into that and they go, I'm not going out there in daylight anymore. There's too many people there, but like a, a nice little hidden water hole, that's sometimes harder for the general hunting population to blow out sure. just because they're not, they're not doing it. And you can find it. If you know what you're looking for, you can find that almost anywhere. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you have enough land to work with and I can't find a, a sweet alfalfa or a bean field in a lot of places I hunt. Yeah, that's true, man. That is true. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us, man. I really appreciate you diving on this subject with us, man, and, and uh, spending your time with us. Um, what's the best place for people to see what's going on with you this fall? Uh, all my whitetail stuff is at uh, com slash wired, and I'm doing a bunch of stuff with those guys. So we've got you know podcasts over there under the Wired Hunt Network and articles and YouTube videos and you can get way more than you need to from me <laughs> over there. So that that's the best place to check out. But, yeah, I really appreciate this, guys. It's always fun to chat with you, too. Yeah, for sure, man. Guys, I really hope that information helps you out and helps you kill a big buck this early season. I'm stoked. Tyler and I are both going to kill big bucks. Everybody's killing big bucks this year. Just handing them out, all right? Socialism. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this podcast or you are an avid listener of the podcast, be sure you subscribe. And also, we would really appreciate a review. If you haven't yet, go check out our YouTube channel, too, because a lot of the stuff that we reference in these podcasts, you can see the visual format on YouTube. And remember, this is your element. Live in it. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.